трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football Newscast, your uh, regular podcast on all things Russian football from the only website dedicated solely to Russian football in the Russian World Cup year. So that's all that out of the way. Time to introduce my two guests. Uh, first of all, we have the editor of the website, that's Toka Thelade. How are you, sir? Hey, Thomas. It's good to be back. Good stuff. And uh, of course, for uh, I think it's your second appearance here, Artyom, Artyom Makarevich. Hi Thomas, yeah, it's my second. Good stuff. The the glad to be on. The yeah, we're glad to have you on as well. The Irishman with the the Russian name. Very interesting. Just uh, just for the listeners again, I, I want you to repeat the story of how that came about. Essentially, I mean it's pretty obvious, yeah. but do repeat it. Yeah, so basically, my uh, my parents were born and raised in the Soviet Union, and then when that collapsed, they moved to Russia. I, that's where I was born, and I uh, then we moved over to Ireland when I was three years old. So. That's how my accent came about. Perfect. And you are a uh, a Zenit fan from Samara. Some sort of glory hunting going on there. But we've been over that territory before. So, <laughs> so I think let's just kick off straight away. We've got some good topics today. Just for, just for the listeners, let's just quickly go over them. We're going to analyse the top 50. That is our yearly sort of review of all the players in the Russian uh, Russian well, Russian Premier League, really, rather than the other tiers. So the top 50 players in Russia at the moment, we're going to sort of go through a bit of analysis on them, which should be interesting. Then we'll go through the transfer window. Of course, lots of comings and goings in the Russian League. Transfer window, of course, still not over, so might be some more movement by the time we have the next podcast. Then we're going to do the uh, Europa League previews. We've got four Russian sides involved in that. So let's uh, do the top 50. Um, Just very quickly for the listeners, I'm going to just go over the top five. I think that's the best thing to do. I'll do it in reverse order. So we'll start from number five. Number five, we have uh, Siska's Pontus Vanbloom. Number four, we have uh, Lokomotiv's Alexei Miranchuk. Number three, new entry Manuel Fernandez from Lokomotiv. Number two is Fyodor Smolov, last year's winner. And last year's runners-up has moved up one place. That is Quincy Promes from Spartak Moscow. So, Tokar, I'll come to you first. Um, just a few general thoughts on the top 50, really. You, you, I'm assuming you think Quincy's the deserved winner. Oh yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I mean, it, in my opinion, he, he is by far the best player in, in the league. So I think it was it was very deserved. I even had him as as the best player last season as well. But Smolov beat him to it. The, the other writer, writers didn't agree with me. But uh, yeah, this season he he got the first place. I, I thought he des- he deserved he has deserved since Hulk left the league really. Um, but yeah, it, it it was a really interesting top fifty. I mean, we saw some some major um, leaps both up and down and. Some interesting new new entries like Emmanuel Fernandez on the on the third place. That's um, yeah, it, it it was really interesting to see how people rank the different players of the Premier League and and then to assemble this whole top fifty of the best players in in the league. And Artem, I'm assuming did you did you go for um, Smolov last year? I'm assuming Artem, but you I'm assuming you decided to change your mind this time around because surely you've got to agree with Toka there. Quincy, undoubtedly the best player in the league. I wasn't actually around last year when uh, when it was being decided, but yeah, I, I think I would have gone for Smolov in that situation. But this year, I think after winning the Premier League as well with uh, Spartak, I think there was no debate about it. I think Qu- Quincy Promise deserved it. And then... What about this then? I'm just looking. There's a really good analysis piece on the website actually written by James Nichols that you should all go and look at. And actually, of course, look at the top 50. We've got, um, I think it's, are there four separate pieces on that token? For, um, I think it's the 10. Am I think, right in thinking there's four there? 
Five, five different pieces. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, five pieces, so each with a 10. Yeah, that does make sense with a 50. My math is awful. So just a, a quick thing I've actually noticed on the analysis, really, Toker, is here we've got, um, it says four were included on the list in 2015. Now, that's only three years ago. Does that surprise you that there's been so much change in what is relatively a short period of time? Yeah, it does. I think it, it says a lot about Russian football, really. We have, I mean... We have a lot of players both coming to the league, leaving the the league again rather quickly. But it also, I mean, it also tells us something about how how quickly football changes. I mean, the league three years ago was completely different to the one we see today. Three years ago, Sinet was, um, if I remember correctly, dominating the top 50 completely with players like Hulk and Axel Witzel and Etikil Garay. And now we have seen them finish outside the Champions League spot for two seasons in a row. So... Obviously, that that affected um, that affected the top fifty a lot, and I mean, you just see these these changes of, and that that's what I like about the top fifty as well because it does. I mean, it is based on on the players' abilities, so it's not completely depending on how the clubs perform uh, in the league, but I mean, it does show how the league develops. So now we don't have, I mean, was. I don't think we have a single. We don't have a single Senate player in top five. I think that shows a lot about the uh, how the club has fallen over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I was just going. I did let you finish. I was so tempted to come in and jump in on you when you're talking about Zenit, just to say that Kokorin is high, Zenit's highest player, and he's at number six. So, like you say, no, no Zenit players in the top five. And Artyom, of course, I mentioned earlier, Zenit fan. Um, Kokorin was number 26 last season. That's a jump of 26 places. I mean, I know we've spoken about it a lot on the podcast, but just a quick couple of comments on how much he's come on recently, just to sort of deserve that place up there. Yeah, absolutely. This The last year has been absolutely crazy for him. If you remember at the start, back in the winter break, he was actually registered for Zenit 2 because Luchescu just didn't really like the way he played. You know, he, he had a bit of an attitude, but he's completely turned it around under Mancini and He's been absolutely as close to world class as he can get in the Russian Premier League. So he's been absolutely brilliant, and I hope that his form continues for the rest of the season. Now, the highest uh, jump token, so that's Kokonin with a jump of 20, is Anton Zobnin, who's up uh, 21 places. Just a, just a few words on him there. Yeah, I mean, what, what can you say about him? He's, I, I think he's a fantastic player, and it, it it really hurt me when when he got down when he went down injured just before the Confederations Cup because he was he was so good for Spartak Moscow last season he was he was really carrying the team uh, him and Quinton Promus was was really like elevating the the level and and then seeing him go down and he hasn't played the season really so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the spring I think he could actually have been been placed higher up on the top fifty had he played in the uh, in the fall part of the season but but he was out injured unfortunately. Um, but but yeah, hopefully he'll he'll make a comeback and because because he he is a fantastic player and and he has the potential to be one of the very important players for the Russian national team if he's uh, injury free, of course. And then Arto, I'm just looking. I'm just sort of going through a bit more of the top fifty here. Um, any sort of surprises there? Because Toka mentions you were surprised by, well, Zobnin's leap. I don't. I wouldn't say surprised. I suppose, but. Perhaps he should have been higher. I suppose you should was what Toka's saying. So, what were the surprises for you, Artyom? I mean, no. I have to admit, I'm quite surprised with uh, how high uh, Emiliano Ragoni was ranked. Because if you look at how many games he's played in the Russian Premier League, he's only actually played nine games. And I know it's to do with quality, but he hasn't scored or assisted in the league yet. 
So that I think that that's the one that surprised me the most. Would you say that that's, like you said, is that purely down to reputation? Because we have seen a few flashes, to be fair, but like you said, no real end product. Do you think it's just because he's perhaps impressed a bit more on the eye rather than actual product? I'm not too sure that he doesn't have a product because if if you look at his games in Europe, he's played six games, scored six and assisted two, which is an incredible achievement so far. But it's just in, in the Russian Premier League, he just doesn't seem to be able to do the same thing, which is quite surprising because he does clearly have the quality. And Toka, other than Zobnin then, who I'm sure you might speak a bit more about, what was your major surprise? In fact, I'll give you a bit of a deeper question on that and I might come to you again on this side of Tiom. Who would you say was ranked too high and who would you say is ranked too low? And then sort of your surprises in and around that. That's a difficult question because I'm, I'm on this podcast with you two Senate fans, but... Oh, my, I'm, 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 pure, I'm purely neutral here, Toga. Don't worry. I, I supposedly <laughs> want everyone to do well. Yeah, you say that, but let's see. Well, I mean, I had Kukorin rather low. I, I definitely wouldn't rank him as number six in the league. That's that's for sure. I had him. I don't remember my exact rank, ranking, but I think bef- between fifteen and twenty. I think he he did he did play very well in in the fall, but but then again, by the end of the season, he he did fell through like the rest of the Senate team, and. I'm still waiting for him to be consistent, waiting for him to, to perform like this over a longer period of time before I'm ready to rank him anywhere near the top 10. That's that, that's definitely, um, in my opinion, I mean, I think he he's way, he's up way too high and I think people got caught away with uh, with his good, good form at the start of the season. Um, someone who's, who's ranked too low, uh, that's a good question. Actually, I'll probably put someone like uh, Igor Denisov up higher. He's he's thirtieth. I think he's been he's been really good for Lokomotiv this season. He's really uh, a strong, balanced player on the central midfield. In he for me, he's one of those overlooked heroes really on, on this really successful Lokomotiv team because he allows the Milanchuk brothers and Fafan and and Manuel Fernandez to do all the offensive magic because he's he's doing the dirty work, and and he's still uh, he. he he has stepped up as, as a leader as well, in, in my opinion, and, and taking some responsibility on this team. So, yeah, I would have ranked him not in the top 10, of course, but somewhere around at least in the top 2015. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Uh, I just realised, I forgot to mention earlier, Rigoni's rank in the table is 27th, by the way. Now, Artyom, I'm going to sort of stir things up a bit here. Toka has accused you of going over the top because you thought Kokorin deserves to be in that top six. Toka thinks lower, so he's he's trying to wind you up, I think. So what would you say to that? And then that same question to you, really, about who's ranked too high and too low. Well, I think uh, Kokorin has showed what he can do this season. Everyone's seen the potential he can have, but it's only been recently that he has, he's been able to show it. And I think maybe maybe it was a bit too high for him, but at the same time, I think over the last three months, he's shown that he can do it fairly consistently. It, it, it's a shame that the Zenit team is kind of built around him at the moment because he he isn't exactly a finisher. He's more of a, a poacher kind of player, you know? So um, that that's the only thing because it, it's not often that you see him score that top score amount of goals and he is Zenit's top scorer right now. And I hope that continues. But I think he offers much more than goals on the pitch. So I, I think he does deserve to be definitely in the top 10 maybe in the top six. For me, the what surprised me most was that Jefferson Farfan was uh, was only ranked 
10th because if you look at how he's been for Locomotive this season, he's been absolutely incredible. Like, I think he, he is not the single reason that they have been so good, but he's definitely the catalyst in that team. There's been times, especially against Skahabarovsk, for example, where he's literally won them points. And I think without him, they would definitely not have such a such a lead on the table. Um, in terms of who I think is too high, I think I think I'd have to go with Emiliano Argani. I, I I know he has the quality, but because he hasn't showed it in the league, I I can't put him ahead of a lot of players. And then I'm um, just just to round to go into the next topic. This is quite a nice uh, little theme, actually. Um, the lowest mover after such a good couple of years, a couple of seasons ago, I should say, Artem Zuba moved down 34 places, and now he's moved from Zenit St. Petersburg to Arsenal Tula in a loan move here. And Token, I'll come to you on this, so prepare yourself. Do you think? That this is, I find this slightly strange in a way. I can see all sides of the story because obviously he wants the first team football, not getting that at Zenit. But I'm also thinking, isn't he a better option? They've bought in Zabalotny, of course, Zenit, but I'd still possibly argue that Zuba's the better option in a way, given that he's experienced and everything. I know Zabalotny's had a great season, but can he sustain it at that high level, particularly we'll see in Europe? And also, I mean, at the same time, this is a great move for Zuba with the World Cup coming up to get regular minutes. But you'd also argue, such is the the dearth of Russian strikers at the moment here, that he would get in the World Cup if he wasn't playing. Yeah, I had the feeling he would probably have gone to the World Cup. He had his status in it as well. I mean, it does make sense for them to to send him away. He was he was pretty awful in in the in the fall. Unfortunately, I think he only scored a, a single goal in the league, and he doesn't really seem to be. To suit and seen this kind of football. I mean, he's he's too static, he's too slow, and it. it I think it, it's good for him to send him away. The, what what I'm really disappointed in is is the fact that Schuba is going to Arsenal Tula. I mean, he, I know he, he's 29 now, and and he was probably kind of desperate to find a club with the World Cup coming up and everything, but I think that's that's just unambitious. I think he should have aimed for something higher. Uh, he is a Russian international. He has a good reputation. He has scored tons of goals for Senate and Spartak and. And Rostov in the past, so I think he should have been able to to find a better club than that. I mean, we always talk on this podcast about Russian players going abroad and being ambitious, but I think for for Juba, it's not so much about developing; it's just really about playing for a better club than Arsenal Tula because he, he's twenty nine. It I think it's it, it seems like a waste of time to, for him to play six months at uh, at such a low level, and I mean. I wonder if he if he'll even play. I mean, Arsenal Tula have uh, Luka Jordi, which is one of your favorite players, Tom. Who he played very very well in the uh, in the fall. So it it is a team who plays on counters. It's a team who who likes to sit back and and attack their their opponents quickly when they get the ball. So having a slow target man up uh, and a rather lazy one as as Suwa is, unfortunately, I don't know how how well he'll he'll actually perform for them. I mean, Artyom, coming to you as a Zenit fan here we before he came to Zenit we heard a lot of things about his attitude do you think possibly and Toka alludes to it there about his possible lack of ambition do you think his general attitude and I don't want to accuse him of anything here because obviously I don't know him but I'm just going on what we hear generally do you think that's part of why he's gone to this level and there there is obviously a hint of desperation there but also perhaps other teams didn't come in for him because of that supposed attitude 
Yeah, I'm not too sure, to be honest, because, as you said, I don't know him personally, but he he does seem to sometimes maybe get too complacent with where he is, and I think that might affect his game a little bit. And, you know, Mancini has really tried to get every player to be working hard, and maybe Zuba just wasn't up for it. And it's really a shame because he, he is a fantastic footballer. We've seen it in the past, but I, I do agree that Arsenal Tola is not the level for him. He should be up higher in the Russian league table or in a better team abroad, at least. But the, uh, I think the only reason that Zenit, the, the only reason that he didn't go to a level such as that is because Zenit wouldn't let him go to any Russian teams that were higher in the league. And then also, no, it, it, it does make sense for Zenit not to. I mean, there were rumors of him going to Lokomotiv or or Krasnodar. Of course, it makes it does make sense that Zenit doesn't want to to strengthen their 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 opponents and the competitors in the top of the league, but I remember. Do you remember when when Alexander Kazakov moved to FC Suri, for example? I really admired him for that move, and I just wished that Suba had done something similar. I mean, I, I think that was that was a fantastic move by by Kazakov. He performed really well, which was of course a bonus, but it was just a brave move, and he got to play at a good level for a good club. Instead, Suba seems to be. I don't know, maybe he just wants to be the star or he wants to go home to being close to his family. But I, I think, yeah, Arsenal Tula is just, that's a very strange, very strange touch. But Toka, perhaps it is not really his fault in that sense, in that bigger clubs just didn't want him. I mean, I suppose it is sort of his fault if he doesn't make himself marketable. But there's also the case, well, if he's not going to go to a bigger club, he's got to go somewhere. Yeah, and that's that's the case with Russian football players. It seems that unless they can play for Barcelona or Real Madrid, they're not going to move outside of Russia's bar, uh, borders. And I think that was that was the case with uh, Chubert, uh, this transfer window as well. I mean, he, he was probably open to moving abroad, but when a, a Premier League club or a Bundesliga club didn't come knocking, he probably uh, said, OK, well, then might as well just move to Arsenal too and, and be the star in the Russian Premier League instead of actually challenging himself and, and play against some decent opponents because I'm, I'm sure someone with uh, Chuba's resume and his uh, all his goals and being a Russian international or something and all those things, I mean, I'm sure he could find a club if, if he wanted to. I'm sure there were plenty of clubs out there willing to to take someone like him. I mean, if, if Chelsea can chase Peter Crouch, surely someone will take Asim Chuba. I'd love to see Zuba at Chelsea. That'd be fantastic. Actually, I'd love to see Peter Crouch in the Russian Premier League. That'd be even better. That'd be that'd be amazing. But um, sticking around that sort of area of the table, then I'm looking at teams like Rubin, of course, Toker and Artyom. I'll come to you on this. We've seen a lot of things about their um, financial issues, so they've offloaded a lot of players. But also Dinamo, who we know have a lot of financial issues, and there's a great piece on the website about this uh, James Nichols again, who I keep promoting. Is <laughs> a quite a weird individual advert for him here, but. Um, We've seen Dinamo sign Konstantin Raus for, I think it's about 3 million euros, which for a club in financial trouble is a fair amount, particularly when we see the normal fees in Russia, which are relatively low. Well, it really does say everything about Russian football, I think. I mean, we have clubs who, who are unable to pay their own players, who, are, who have players going for months without being paid, and then they go out and spend a couple of million euros on new players. I mean, I think it's completely irresponsible and... It, it unfortunately does say a lot about Russian football. I mean, Artyom, what's your take on the, the Dinamo situation then with the uh, that Rausch coming in? And of course, we've got um, Markov who came from uh, Torsner. 
Yeah, if you look at it from a football perspective, then I think they're both good signings. But as Toka said, I think it is completely irresponsible that a team who has often been in financial trouble just goes out and spends so recklessly. Um, especially when it's likely that they won't make the money back, especially from those players from the Russian Premier League. And then a few words on Rubin here, Toka, because they've they've sort of done the opposite, if you like. No real major transfers coming in, as far as I'm aware. Uh, Podberozhkin, of course, I think we discussed that on the last um, podcast from Krasnodar on loan. But they've got rid of uh, Envia, um, and then they've also got rid of Rochina Bauer, who's gone to Stoke. Yeah, Alex Song, Ragnar Sigurdsson, Lishtien. I mean, all those expensive players they bought not very long ago. Because Ruben Kazan, as, as some of our regular listeners probably already know, are, are also out of money and they also can't really pay the players. So now they're trying to get rid of all the, the expensive players they bought not very long ago. And I mean, I remember we had a part in the summer just after Ruben Kazan got new owners and, and we were quite optimistic because okay, Ruben Kazan, they made some good signings and they had that DF back and everything. And now the whole project is already falling apart and and... Because they probably won't get relegated this season because they have a, a nice gap down to the bottom. But what's going on? I mean, it's it's quite difficult to be optimistic on Rubin's behalf right now because the whole club seems to be falling apart, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, a club in a not so much, maybe not. We don't hear so much about it nowadays. But in their season where they were going for the title, Rostov, we know, have had a lot of financial trouble, problems in the past. And they've signed uh, mainly Ragnar Sigurdsson from Fulham. And then they also signed Sigurd Arsson from Molde, who I know we discussed on the last pod, Artyom. Does that surprise you? Um, the fact that they don't supposedly have much money, but they can afford these sort of players. There's something, something quite not, not quite right there for me. Yeah, it is a bit of a strange situation because, as you said, Rostov aren't known exactly for having money, but they they tend to make some pretty decent signings. Um, Especially when they, when they lost players to almost everyone the season after their title challenging season, but I I just guess that's that's just Russian football. It's just Rostov how, how they are. Um, I think in a footballing perspective, again, they did sign some good players, but I, I'm not too sure how they're gonna how they're gonna keep up with their finances. Uh, just on the Rostov topic, by the way, it's well worth, well worth mentioning that uh, Leonid Slutsky, former Hull City manager, and of course, more famously, former Siskar and uh, Russian national team manager, has gone in a consultancy role at um, Rostov. So that should be interesting. I mean, Toka, I don't know if you want to have a few words on that before we get into a few more transfers. No, it's, it, it really is a strange thing. I mean, I, I really hope that he doesn't end up as, as the head coach of, of Rostov. I mean, I think he, I, I believe we talked about this before, but I think he still has. He still has a lot to offer, and I hope he he doesn't go back to Russia because and become a a big fish in a small pond again. Because that's I'm sure it's tempting for him, just like it was tempting for Chuba and all those and Smolov and all those other players who who opted to stay in Russia this uh, this winter. But yeah, he he's a great capacity to get in for Rostov. I mean, it really is a scoop to get someone like him with his expertise and his experience and knowledge in around the club. I mean, we saw how much a single person can change at a club like Rostov when Bediev joined the club. And it, it, it is, it's fantastic for them, but uh, I, hope, I hope it's only temporary and that uh, Slutsky has, has uh, more ambitions than being the head coach of uh, SC Rostov. And just back to the transfers, Toko, what about um, Spartak, Sofian Hani there? I think that was done on the... On, was it 
um, European deadline day. Yeah, just at the end of the window. I mean, both signings made a lot of sense. I don't, I don't know the the two players very well, but they have some good resumes and and partly they did strengthen the the areas where they did look a bit a bit poorer in the um, in the uh, in the fall. I mean, we we know that uh, Popov might leave the club this uh, sometime this winter. I mean, the Russian windows of course still open and and some other windows are still open as well. So. There have been some rumors of him leaving the club, so it was uh, a smart move to get a replacement for him already before he left. And of course, with the, the injuries Spartak have had in the defense, signing um, a, a defender made a lot of sense as well. And they have both their cha- competing for the championship, of course, so they needed a, uh, a big squad, they needed depth, and that's actually what they lacked a bit last season. Now they have more games. And and also they have of course the Europa League, so yeah, some some really good signings. I mean, not the signings that make you fall down the chair, but of, um, but but good signings, and and they did strengthen their squad. And perhaps the most important transfer of, of this window is actually the one they didn't make. They didn't sell Quincy Promise. They managed to keep the star number one of the RFN top fifty, and that's really that was really important because he's he's the guy who can who can give them another championship. Without him, they wouldn't have had many chances. Yeah, and just, just to sort of elaborate on what Tug says there about the Russian window, it closes on the 24th of February at 11 o'clock. So Russian clubs can still sign players up till then. And just uh, coming to you, Artyom, just on what Tug says there on Quincy there, so important that they let him stay. And actually, we saw on uh, European deadline day that he was in a friendly squad in their mid-season training camp. So Southampton were the really interested in him and they were never going to have a chance once that sort of lineup was announced. And I assume they announced that lineup because they knew it wasn't going to happen. But also, let's mention Fyodor Smolov, who, of course, much rumoured away for the last few windows. Um, West Ham was supposedly interested, bringing him to England. Are you slightly surprised that Smolov stayed? He put a statement out on Krasnodar's website saying that he's staying because he didn't get a, um, an offer of abroad and he didn't want to go to another club in Russia, which I think is credit to him. Yeah, I, I was actually really hoping that uh, he would go to West Ham during deadline day. I was I was at the TV the whole time waiting for some news to come out, but I think I think maybe in hindsight he he probably did make the right the right call because West Ham do play some defensive football. I I, I also do give him a lot of credit for not moving to another Russian club, which is even as a Zenit fan, I, I think it would be a nightmare for his career. I th- I think. I would much prefer him to go to Europe or stay at Krasnodar than to go to Zenit or Spartak. And Toka, just a few words on Smolov from you as well. Yeah, you know me, Tom. You know I'm quite quite pessimistic, unfortunately. To be honest, I, I don't think Smolov was ever was ever going to to move. I think he'll, as I, I think I've said this before, I think he'll play out his, his career in, in Russia, unfortunately. I was hoping very well, I mean, just like Ashim, I was really hoping that he'll he'll leave Russia and go to a bigger club and a bigger league. But I was never really optimistic. I mean, we saw all the rumors, but we have seen all the rumors with, with players like him and Kukuri and all the other good Russian players so many times before. And yeah, I, I don't think Smolov was, was really that close, even though there probably were. I'm sure there was interest in him, even though he said that he didn't have any offers. I mean, I'm sure there was interest, and I'm sure he could have found a club. But uh, yeah, I, I think he was he was pretty set from the start of the transfer window. Just just quickly though, Toki, you mentioned there you see him playing out his career in Russia. I mean, he does also imply in that statement, and he said he got on record or something, maybe a bit more off the record. Actually, I think Andrew said a story that once he was talking to the press off the record, and he said he was going to try and get to Europe, but. 
that makes me think perhaps he will try. And the fact he stayed at Krasnodar m- makes him think he's got a better move lined up. But also I'm thinking World Cup year, that's probably why he's staying as well, isn't it? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if he goes to the World Cup and, and scores five goals, I'm sure, of course he'll he'll attract a lot of interest. And you're, you're right. I mean, had he moved to Senate that, or Spartak or something like that, that would have been it. But I don't give much for his statements. I mean, I've I've heard Russian players say that they want to move to Europe for a very long time now. I mean, I think Zagorov has probably said it 20 times, and he's still at Siska. So. I mean, I think it's at least be, thirty on Zagorov, to be honest. Though. So, <laughs> so I mean, they can say it as much as they want, but for now, I'm not convinced. I mean, he knows what to say and how to impress people, but well, let's let's see him actually move before we start praising him too much for his his ambitions and his uh, actions. To be honest, Toka, I know I'm meant to be the neutral party here, but I have to come out and say I was purely playing devil's advocate there because I do kind of agree with you. But um, let's. Just last transfer, which segues nicely into the next topic. We've had um, Ahmed Musa coming back from Leicester to Siska on loan. Now, Artyom Siska, not famous for spending money. And of course, this is a, a loan move. And actually, there's another loan move, which I will highlight before we go into the previews, which I've just forgotten. So we'll keep that as a little surprise. But um, what do you make of this Musa back to Siska? I mean, to me, you, it, it's, so it's going back to your old stomping ground. It can really fall one or two ways. And that's a bit of a cliche, but probably because it's quite true. It can either go amazingly well and you're a new hero or it just doesn't work out the same as it did before how do you see this going I think he'll come back and be a hero again I think this move suits all parties I think he didn't really settle in at Leicester I think going into the World Cup he'll want to be on form he'll want to get game time so it's a great move for the player Tsuska also need to improve their attack because there's not really that much it's not really that much pace or anything in it right now, and I think he would completely change the way um, the, the way they even counter attack. I think he'd be a, I think he's going to be a really good addition for Suska. And Toko, what about your thoughts on the Musa move? Will it be Will it fail dramatically? I know you're a pessimist, so I'm expecting that answer. Or actually, are you going to surprise us here? No, I think. I mean, first of all, I think this is. This is such a classic Cisco move. I mean, we've seen them in the past sign Dombia back on loan, they signed Wagner Love back on loan, and now it's Ahmed Musa's turn to go back to Cisco on loan as, a, as sort of a savior. I'm quite optimistic. I think he'll he'll come in and and I think he'll he'll perform well. He knows the club, he knows the league, he knows most of his teammates. I think the biggest problem for him is the fact that Cisco is not really the club he left. I mean, a lot has changed in in the last year and a half. The squad is significantly weaker than when he left the the squad uh, left the club and there's a lot more pressure on him when he played when he left Cisco the first time they had Yedemenko they had um, uh, they had a lot of good players around him right now he'll be he has guys like Ordonara he has Chalov or I mean they even he have, he can have have Pontus Bernblom as his striking partner I think that says it all and yeah, so there'll just be a lot more pressure on him to perform and the opponents will probably have even more focus on him because he is, he is the main threat now. So it'll be difficult for him because he is, um, he'll have to take a lot more responsibility than he used to do. But, but I think generally, I think it's a, it's a really good signing for, for Cisco. From what I understand, they're not paying a lot of money for him either, which of course is a, is a huge plus for them. Um, but I don't expect any miracles from, from Musa. I don't expect him to come back as a savior because the rest of the squad is, is not that good. So I expect Cisco to have a, 
to have a difficult spring. And then I mentioned that other loan move that I'm, I'm not actually quite sure it's fully confirmed yet. But Toka, we're hearing about uh, Alex Shatov, of course, Zenit midfielder, move, possibly moving on loan to Krasnodar and paying his, um, his own loan fee, which I think, uh, having just worked it out, it's, a hundred, it's 25 million rubles, which obviously means nothing to a lot of people. But uh, if I can read properly, I think that's about £35,000. So uh, quite an interesting move there. Yeah, and it, it really is disappointing that the fact that Oleg Shatov at, at the age of 27 is moving to Krasnodar alone and not to a big European club. I mean, I, I wouldn't have predicted that a couple of years ago because he was, I mean, under Villas Boas, he was a fantastic player. He was, he was so good. But in the last two, three seasons, his, his level has just dropped drastically. And I mean, I, I don't blame uh, Luchesco and Mancini for not playing him because he, he really hasn't been that good. But it's just a shame because just a few years ago he looked so promising and, and he really was a good player. But now he, yeah, he has to go to Krasnodar. He has to reinvent himself because it, the things are not looking good for him. I, I really hope he'll he'll be motivated and that he'll that he'll come back from this. But there have been some rumors of him not really working hard enough and not doing enough to get into the Senate team. So, yeah, he, he's another player who's in for a very interesting spring where he has to to really show not only like. The, the people, but also the national team, that that he is still relevant and that he he does deserve a spot in the in the World Cup squad. Yeah, Artem, your thoughts on this? And actually, I think I might have even read that some wrong. It's actually three hundred fifty-three thousand euros. So actually, another hundred thousand, well, a few hundred thousand euros put on top of that. Um, to me, Artem, that I mean, I'm not sure about this rumor with his paying his own loan fee because that seems an extortionate amount. But if it does go through, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, th- I think if that's actually what's happening. I think that shows how much he really wants to play and not just sit on the bench and pick up his money. I think right before the World Cup, Krasnodar is the perfect move for him. I think if he moved to Lokomotiv, which I doubt would have happened anyway because of Zenit not wanting to strengthen a rival, but st- still, Krasnodar are a rival, obviously, but not not the main title rival. Um, I think... I think that Krasnodar is a great move for him. I think he'll fit in right into that attack with Smolov and Klaas, and I think that's going to be a really dangerous attack that every defence in the league will be fearing. But, and hopefully he hopefully he performs. But just to go back on Toka's point there, Artyom, what would you... I mean, as Toka says, it's a shame that someone who was so highly hoped on is just going on loan to Krasnodar. <laughs> it, it's not great. <laughs> Yeah, it it isn't great. A, a few years ago, if you'd said this was going to happen, I wouldn't have believed that because I I really do rate him quite highly. But I think if I think it must be down to attitude problems more than anything, because like I can't imagine that his quality would have just dropped so so quickly at at such a young age. I I hope he can get back on it and show that he's worthy of a place in the World Cup squad. And actually, before we move on to the European brews, just realised I totally missed off. Um, Lokomotiv, uh, Toko, are you surprised they haven't actually made any permanent signings? I know that, like most Russian clubs, they don't have that much money. But are you surprised that they haven't at least tried to add to the depth? Because we always think that if you're on top of the league, you need to buy to sort of reinforce yourself. Well, there were some rumours of them going after Super, but but I think, no, I think Lokomotiv were, were, were smart. I mean, you so often see big clubs in Russia go out and and act um, and take rash decisions, especially a club like Lokomotiv. I mean, they've made some horrible signings in the past where they tried to, to show that they were 
that that the bond was improved. I think Lokomotiv had have a have a really good squad. They showed in the in the in the fall that 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 they have found the, a winning formula and that they don't really. I mean, perhaps they could have added some depth, but let's remember that it, that they get Chaluka back in the in the spring, hopefully. I mean that's the captain and and the best central defender in the in the club, maybe even one of the best defenders in the league. They get him back from a long-term injury, and I don't think there's any reason to go out and strengthen the squad just to do it. I think Lokomotiv were probably looking for the right deal that didn't find it, and that's why they just hold on to the squad. And yeah, as the same with uh, Promise, they managed to keep on to all the profiles. They still have the Milanchuk brothers on the books. So that that's a good piece of business business in itself. So yeah, no, I think they did the right the right thing. I mean, I'm sure they would have acted had they found a really good deal, but there's no really no reason to to sign players for them just to for their appearance. And that actually set, I keep trying to find all these segues, and that's actually a good one here. So let's move on to the Europa League previews, and that's uh, Locomotive at uh, Nice, of course, French side. Uh, Artem, how would you see this one going? I mean, Loco, of course, in great form. But as we always say, I mean, this we go over the calendar so often here and how we think it should change, really, because it was initially done to benefit the teams in Europe, which hasn't happened. But anyway, after that long break going up against Nice, I personally, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm I'm feeling a bit sketchy about this one. Lokomotiv haven't exactly been very promising in pre-season either. They've... They've only picked up one win from five games. I know it's not really that too important, but going into a game against Nice, who have a lot of quality players like Balotelli, Wesley Schneider, I think it's going to be hard for them to get back into that competitive rib- competitive rhythm. And I think, at least for the first leg, we will see a locomotive loss. I mean, Toko, I mean... Does it help that Loco go away first? I mean, I'm just looking at Nice's fixtures here. I know we're not the French football news podcast, but we may as well bring it up. They've actually lost their last two. They have a game at uh, Dijon on uh, Saturday before playing Loco the following Thursday. So Nice have a bit of form. So maybe maybe Loco do have a bit of a chance. I definitely think Locomotive have have a chance. I mean, we have seen them in, in the past play some good games against some really good opponents. But... I'll agree with Archim. I think Nice are definitely the favourites. I mean, we have a, a team from from the French league, a, a quite good team as well. From what I understand, they're not quite as good as as they were last season, but yeah, it's still a team with a lot of quality players. So it will be a tough. It's a tough draw for Locomotive, and and I do expect Nice to to advance from this one, unfortunately. But but Locomotive, they definitely have a chance, and um. Yeah, having these European European games, I mean, Locomotive have been able to focus solely on this game for for two and a half months, so that's an advantage, of course. Um, of course, it's, on the other hand, it's it's worrying that they don't have that competitive mat, match practice. But I mean, I, I I think Locomotive will be in this um, to the last minutes, and I think it'll be a close draw, but it, it's a tough one. So, Token, I'm going to stay with you, and uh, we'll stay with Moscow as well. We've got Spartak up against Athletic Bilbao, who are 13th in La Liga and haven't won. Um, just have a look here. They haven't won in the last five. They haven't won since the uh, the 7th of January. So, it'll be if they don't win at the weekend, well, on Friday, then um, they could go into this game having without a win in a month. So, Spartak with a real chance here. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And we saw Spartak in the Champions League. They showed that they can actually... They can compete with the good, 
with the good European champ, uh, teams. I know, of course, Sevilla and Liverpool are not, it's not Man City or Barcelona, but still, they managed to beat Sevilla 5-1. So, it is a good, Spartak are a good team and they definitely have chances. I, I have Spartak as, as small favourites. Of course, Bilbao, they are in better shape at the moment. They do play and it, it is a Spanish team with a lot of quality, but but I, I do expect Spartak go, to go through this one. Um, it'll be tough, but, but yeah, Spartak are my favourites. And Artem, would you go along with that? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm. I'm actually very optimistic for this game. I think he, even the fact that Bilbao lost a player in Laporte to Manchester City, they did replace him with Inigo Martinez. But I think without Laporte, that defense could be a little bit uh, less settled than it would be with him. So I think they will definitely have some problems trying to stop Spartak, and I'm hoping that Spartak will go through. And then again, let's, let's stick with the Moscow theme, I suppose. Uh, we've got Siska against uh, Red Star Belgrade, who, of course, knocked out Krasnodar in the Europa League qualifiers. Um, that seems like a long time ago now. They, um, they've got, uh, they're actually playing Zenit in a cl- club friendly as we record this tomorrow on the 7th. But um, they're first in the league here, Toka, but they've had a, a few, dr- they're on a winter break as well here. So what do you make of this? And also, I think Andrew told us in a private message earlier on, uh, Twitter, and I'm just checking it out now, that they have had their um, their UEFA ban for fans uh, for, a, for a banner deferred, so that could make a huge difference here. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's, it's an advantage, but I'll be honest, I think, in, I mean, they did beat Krasnodar, but Krasnodar were quite horrible at that point. I think anything but but uh, a victory for Siska, an uh, overall victory, that that's a disaster, I mean. As, as much as Red Star is a good team and they have a, a glorious past and everything, it's it's just without a doubt a team that a, a club like Cisco Moscow should beat. I mean, when you look at the squad, they have guys like uh, Litalik and Kanga. It's Mitchell Donald. That's players who play for some of the boys' teams in the Russian league. And I think that just shows that, that there should be a significant difference in the level. And yeah... Red Star don't even have the advantage of, of the winter break. I mean, they have exactly the same conditions as Siska. So, yeah, definitely a Siska victory. Otherwise, otherwise, Gunturenko will... His his seat should get quite warm if, if they're eliminated like Krasnodar. <laughs> quite warm. I'm not quite sure it's going to get warm from in a cold Moscow winter. But, um, Artyom, what about your thoughts on Siska? And how important is it that actually they go to Red Star, they go to Belgrade first and get that fixture out of the way? Yeah, I think they would have been a bit upset here and that the, the fans w- will be there because that will make a massive difference to the game. If you've seen the atmospheres there, they're absolutely insane. But I, I think Siska, even if they drop, even if they don't win the game over in Serbia, I think when they bring it back to Russia, I think they should go through. I that They would be very disappointed if they didn't, I think. And then let's move on to our final team, which, of course, is uh, Zenit St. Petersburg. Artyom, I'll stay with you on this one. Um, they've got Celtic. up. Uh, they're going up to Celtic Park in Glasgow first. Um, the thing is that on Celtic, of course, very good side in, in, admittedly, a very poor league. But good good European pedigree for Celtic, generally, in recent years. Have some good results in the... In the I think they drew against Man City in the Champions League group stage, I'm right in thinking, this year. And actually, Zenit although they're probably the favourites, they do sometimes have a bit of a history of not doing so well in this this phase of the competition. Yeah, 
Yeah, even last year when they got knocked out um, in the second leg, it, it was a bit frustrating. But I'm I'm very confident about this game, about this this tie. Um, rather, uh, I I think Zenit should go through. Maybe not without a problem. I think at Celtic Park the the game will be tough, but over the two legs, I can't see anything but a but Zenit progressing. And um, what about you, Toka? What are your thoughts on this? I agree. I think Zenit are definitely the the favourites. I mean, Celtic that that's a good squad. It's a it's a good team, but Zenit Zenit should be able to advance. Um, of course, Zenit it's. They're not really in the in the in the best possible conditions right now, but but I have I have seen it as uh, as favourites for this one. I mean, Scottish football simply is it is it's not on the level that um, that it used to be. I mean, ten years ago we saw Glasgow Rangers in the UEFA Cup final against Senate, but um, that's I mean they're nowhere near that today. And but they do Celtic, they do hype so. themselves up for the European competition, Toka. That has to be said. So I, I'm, that's why I'm slightly sceptical about this, to be honest, because Zenit have a history yeah. of not doing so well at this stage and Celtic hype themselves up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and there'll definitely be a, a lot of pressure on Zenit um, for this game. And from what I understand, they won't get the biggest support in uh, in Glasgow because because it's, it's difficult with, with visa and everything. But I, I have seen it as favourites. I mean, they they have to, they simply have to be able to beat a club like Celtic if, if they want to be taken seriously, both uh, in European football, and it's also it's it's a good warm up for them for for the spring where they really need to perform in the league um, to to qualify for the next season's Champions League. So yeah, I have seen it as favourites. But 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world if they eliminated. Um, not so much because because Celtic are a good team, but. Mostly because, yes, it just has this this history of, of letting us down. Yeah, you can say that again. Um, <laughs> but I think that brings a great end to the podcast, everybody. Um, of course, do look out for those European fixtures over the next couple of weeks. Uh, of course, transfer window still open to the 24th of February, like I said. So do keep your eye on the uh, on the window. And of course, very first topic, uh, our RFN Top 50. We've got five articles on each of the, the 10 countdowns, if you like. And then we've got a great analytics piece on there as well. So do cast your eye over that. And maybe even drop us a few comments on Twitter and Facebook, etc. The pages after that are at Russ Football News on Twitter and Russian Football News Facebook page. Do sort of give us your opinions on the top 50. We'd really like to hear your opinions on it. Uh, do, of course, subscribe to this podcast uh, through the World Football Index, who hosts us so kindly. And um, again, just thanks, my guest. Thank you, Artyom. Thanks very much for having me. No problem. And of course, thank you, Toker, as per usual. You're welcome, Thomas. Good stuff. And uh, of course, uh, we'll see you on the next podcast, hopefully. Keep listening. Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.